Hello, good evening, Watercliff Baptist Church. Wonderful to see you all again for another evening service. Um, just as I get everything set up here. For those of you who don't know, uh, it was about just over a week ago I had my wisdom teeth removed. What a wonderful op. I think a few people here can share in their delights of having what a wonderful operation on their mouth. So, um, disclaimer, no, I'm not speaking on pain and suffering tonight. Um, but uh, if I pull some funny faces halfway through, you know why. All right. Okay. But tonight we are going to be looking at knowing God. So God put this message on my heart just because I really felt like sometimes we get to this place where we're running through the motions, we're kind of just living life like normal people, you know, not really regarding what the difference is in actually living a life for God and what living a life for ourselves can look like. And this is what the world does to us. The world puts us on this track where we feel like we need to fit in. We feel like we have to be like everybody else. And so tonight, I wanted to go back into the Old Testament, and we're going to be looking at Exodus 33, just to unpack what was going on in the nation of Israel and how they were struggling as well, and struggling to have that identity with God, getting to a point of identity crisis. And so likewise, I want us to really reflect at our own lives and say, okay, if I'm in that moment now, if I've been in it before, how do I deal with that? And how do I get back to that space where I can say, I'm a believer who knows God, and my desire is to know Him more. All right, let me just get this on, otherwise nothing's going to move here. There we go. All right, so to, to get everything started today, I want to talk a little bit about relationships, all right? So by raise of hands, I'd love the church to get involved with me a bit tonight. Let me know what are the most important aspects of a healthy relationship. Can some people share some things with me? What do we need in a healthy relationship? The back there. Openness, all right? Honesty, similar. Time, time's a big thing. Anything else? Forgiveness, all right? The back there, Tim. Communication, very big one. Anybody, one more? Just one more? Got there at the back? Love, all right? So, very true. A lot of these things are so essential to a healthy relationship. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm also quite a newly engaged man. I've recently pop the question to my now fiance, who I love very much. So you can imagine these aspects are extremely important and are very much on my mind at the moment. Because I'm thinking to myself, well, if I love someone to the extent where I want to ask them that question, where I want to say I want to spend the rest of my life with you, I need to be sure that in my relationship that these are core aspects of the relationship I have with this person. She needs to have the priority. I need to prioritize time with her. I need to prioritize making sure that she feels loved. She needs to see that I'm going to give 110% in everything that I do with and for her. Now, if I ask you, do I know Pam? How many of you are going to say yes or no? Like, I think a lot of you will say, I wouldn't have asked Pam to marry me if I didn't know her, right? It would be kind of silly of me, okay? But you see, because of these fundamental aspects of our relationship, I can say that I know her. And I can say that I'm in a position to say, that is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. So for you, considering some of your most important relationships, it might be a spouse, maybe your parents, maybe siblings, wherever you find people who you value in such a deep and meaningful way, you need to ask yourself, do I know these people? And a lot of you will say, yes, I know them because I've spent time with them, I make effort for them, and I work on my relationship with them. 
But most importantly, how did you come to truly knowing those people? And as we spoke about these aspects, it came through effort. It came through time. It came through love. So secondly, has knowing these people or him or her changed you in any way? Have they made an impact on you? I think a lot of us can recognize how impactful our parents have been in our lives. Needless to speak of spouses and other people within our families and friendships. And have you become like these people? Now for me, knowing Pam also means I've become a little bit like her. And it's already starting to the point where my future father-in-law, David, where we were having a lovely conversation around the table, and I just said, yo, but that's something intense, eh? And he looked at me and he just started laughing and he said, you've picked up Pam's yoch. Because <laughs> Pam would always have this little yoch. This is, this is interesting, you know. And, uh, and he's like, well, now you're starting to sound like each other. So I'm sure many of you and married couples here tonight have heard something along the lines of being together for a long time makes you more like each other. But you also start to look more like the other person. To the point where maybe people will even say you look like brothers and sisters. That's how long these people have been together. Have you heard that? I definitely have. So taking all of this and looking at relationships and focusing our attention now to God, it's the same thing, guys. We need to contribute to our relationship with Him to know Him. And the more we do this, the more we start to look like Him. And it's going to the core of why we as Christians call ourselves Christians, coming from Christ. We are emulating a Messiah. We are trying to be as much like Jesus as we possibly can be. And everything I've just mentioned about relationships, everything about getting to know someone, and them impacting us, and us becoming like them, it's the same thing with Christ. And that's what we do in knowing God. It's the same thing with our relationship with God and reading our word. We do that not out of ritual, but out of a desire to grow in our relationship. So tonight we're going to be focusing on this passage in Exodus. Now Exodus takes us back to a stubborn Israel that God had shown so much grace to. And so we're going to look at how they went from focusing on idolatry and getting pulled away from their focus on God and coming back to a place where they realize that there's nothing more important than desiring a relationship with God. So I'm going to start by just giving us a bit of context. We're going to just dive into chapter 30, 32 a little bit before coming to chapter 33 because it's extremely important for when it comes to looking at the six verses we're looking at in chapter 33. But chapter 32 lays down the foundation for the text we are focusing on today. And so to, to, to start, without reading the passage, I'll sum up the story that we're going to get in Exodus um, 32 from verse 1 to 5. So we can just slide to it there quickly so everybody can read along. I don't know, are we doing all right with the slide there? All right, there we go. So to sum up the story, Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai with God. But according to the Israelites at the bottom, it seems like he's taking too long. So the Israelites decide that Moses isn't their deliverer out of Egypt anymore. They someone just say, no, you know, we know you did that, but we're just going to forget about that now. Because obviously, you've got no authority, you've got no power, you've forgotten about us. 
So after collecting gold and jewelry down at the bottom of Mount Sinai, before Moses gets there, Aaron makes this golden calf to worship and make sacrifices to. And so at this point in time, God warns Moses on the mountain of this. And so also threatens to wipe the Israelites out. But Moses pleads and he says, Lord, please remember your covenant. Don't forget what you've promised your people. And so after going down, Moses breaks the the first ten commandments, because we know he makes them again later. But in disgust of the idol worship he sees, he cannot believe what he is seeing. He's just pleaded for these people, and as he comes down, he sees these people doing something extremely reckless. And so the main culprits are then killed. And I've just put the word, I've put 3,000 there because ultimately it was about 3,000 people. Remember, we're dealing with a lot of people in this Israelite camp. But it's said to be that these are the main culprits behind how this began and how people got to this almost mob mentality to say, okay, we're going to start worshiping idols. And so Moses then goes back to God and God instructs him to continue with the plan. Keep going forward. The promised land and everything I've promised, that is still there. We're still going to do that. However, a warning is given that those who sin against God will be removed from the book of life. And that the entire generation would be visited by punishment because of their sin. And we later see in the text that this is referring to these these Israelites never, ever seeing the promised land. And so this is what we see in, in chapter 32. Can you believe people who have been brought out of Egypt, the suffering and the pain, witnessing the ten plagues? But no. Moses is taking too long, so we're going to do our own thing. Ridiculous, right? So let's look at this text a bit. Let's unpack it a bit. So the Israelites longed for direction. When they didn't have it, they made their own way. And the question then goes to you. When you don't hear from God, what do you do? Are you like the Israelites here, and it's very dependent on whether you hear from God or not, and when you don't hear Him, you're like, okay, Well, seeing as you don't want to speak to me, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Do you make your own idol and focus all your attention on this idol, on something else, on someone else? When we look at Western society today, we can see that we live in a world that is obsessed with money, that is extremely obsessed with their self-image. People who never want to die, I saw an ad the other day when I was in the Gauw train, not the other day, when the Gauw train was still COVID-free about two years ago. There were signs up everywhere saying, well, it looks like people are going to start getting close to living up to 200 years old. And I was like, sure, I don't know if I want to be around that long. But this is what people are obsessed with. It's about popularity. It's about pleasure, getting enjoyment out of every moment. And nothing about devotion to God. And so if I look at our current generation, if we look at the current generation of youngsters, we see a world that is extremely impatient. I think a lot of young people here, you can remember a lot of when our parents started to speak about things in the past. I think we look at cues and we think, okay, maybe we see them every now and then when we have to go sort out our paperwork and stuff like that. But other than that, there's no cues. Everything's online, you know. Take a lot here. Shop, I got my stuff. We look at 
TV episodes. We've got something like Netflix. You can just go through all nine seasons in a weekend. Okay, I don't know how much you have to watch to get that right, but <laughs> I've heard of people doing such crazy things. And so we wait until tomorrow to chat to our friends even. Like, that's crazy to think. A lot of the times with our friendships, it's like we go home like, cheers, I'll see you tomorrow, and then I'm having like a three-hour conversation on the phone before I even see you tomorrow. We get back to school, and what do we have to talk about? I don't know. We were talking on the phone all night. And so we don't have patience. It's like we have to just get everything sorted now in an instant, and it comes like that. And so with God, when he doesn't answer, what do we do? We have been cultured in such a way that we are so driven to have everything happen in an instant that when the one thing that we're waiting for, when it's God, we say, well, everything else is coming now. So God, you can take a back seat. All this is here now and you're not. And that's kind of the mentality we start building for ourselves. And so what happens when God isn't instant like Uber Eats? We all start longing for a golden calf and we stop longing for God. What can he do for us when everything else is instant? However, what do these things outside of God do for us? And the answer to that is that it only gives us a temporary feeling of fulfillment. At the end of the day, sin blinds mankind from the eternal fulfillment of God. Guys, we can get obsessed with these things and we can fully sell ourselves to the pleasures and wonders of the world that we have today. But I can promise you that's never going to sustain you. And so, in other words, don't get sucked into this. It's so easy to get sucked into following all these little things. But instead, realize that even though it might be harder to take that little bit of quiet time out of your week or out of your day, maybe it's a little bit harder to take some time to pray and spend time with your father. But I assure you, there is 110 times more fulfillment in sustaining that relationship with God than you're going to get from any of these things. So just because you're working through times where God's presence feels somewhat absent, it doesn't give you a reason to take your focus off of him. He will speak at the right time. His promise also hasn't been forgotten. The work that Jesus has tasked us to do is still important. And there, we can go to the next slide there. There, we are referring to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Even when we don't have the sense of God speaking to us day in and day out and giving us direction and how to live our days and how to be more devoted to Him in everything that we do, we still have commandments in Scripture that are constantly reminding us what God wants us to do through what Christ has taught us. And so I think you can go one more slide, then we can look at, uh, at the Great Commandment and the Great Commission passages there. I've got them up for you there. As we know, the Great Commandment is speaking about loving the Lord your God and loving your enemy as you love yourself. Or loving your neighbor as you love yourself, sorry. And then the Great Commission. You know, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them in the name of the Father and the Son, or baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Very, very powerful passages. But what is that teaching us? There are things we can do to glorify God. And we need to do it every day. That's our instruction, guys. When we are not in a place where we are fully experiencing God's direction. His direction is always crystal clear 
through His Word. So the main point is to focus on this instead of being directed by worldly desires. Again, don't get sucked into what the world wants you to do. Focus on His Word. There is much more direction in living a fulfilling life in God, in the Bible, than there is in these little things in the world. And so going back to a scriptural example, the Israelites are not the only example of where we, you know, we kind of get lost in what God is asking us to do and then sort of scurrying back and realizing what we've done. But we can look at Abram as well. Abram and his wife Sarah got into their old age not bearing a son to the point where Abram said, okay, well, then I'm going to have a child with, with, with our servants. And God said that was not the right thing to do. He needed to wait, be patient. And so the principle here, guys, is be patient in God's direction. For now, you've got enough direction through God's word. But God is constantly, in your relationship with him, going to give you the direction and the leading that he requires for you. Because it's about following his will, not our own, right? And he will reveal that to us. So I want to end of this section with a reading from Psalm 27, verse 14. And it reads, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So we need to be more patient. And that's going to take us now to our text. So we're going to jump into Exodus 33 now. So for those of you who have your scriptures, you're more than welcome to turn to Exodus 33 with me. And we'll read our first passage for tonight. Right, so from verse 1 to 3 it reads, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I'm just thinking, do I have the right verse here? (laughs) I think so, yes. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. Pardon for that uh, realization. Uh, I've been reading a lot in the NIV, and my my core script is in the ESV, so I just got thrown a little bit there. All right, so let's unpack these these verses and kind of see what are they talking about. So when we look at verse 1, you can see that God reminds his people he has not forgotten his promise to give them the promised land. Looking at verse 2, God promised to still have his hand of protection over Israel. And he promised to send an angel of his with them. And then verse 3, the fact that God says he will not go with them. Although this doesn't mean that he's going to completely abandon them. Instead it means he's just going to be at a distance. But, you know, he's been, he's he's upset with the Israelites. And so he's saying, I'm not going to go with you. And so we can see he never forsook his people, but he made it extremely clear that he was disappointed in the Israelites. So the Israelites were in the wilderness searching for the promised land, and God replies to Moses that this is not forgotten. And this is again coming to where we're at with the Israelites. They've now been walking in, in, the, in the... So I was about to say the Sahara. <laughs> they're walking in the wilderness. And this is kind of where they're at. They're a little bit lost, and we know that the Israelites were stuck in the wilderness for 40 years because they just never got to the place where they were ready to go to the promised land because it was all the sin and working out all the problems between the people. And remember, the law wasn't established yet. 
So they didn't have a clear idea of how they were supposed to serve God. And that's very clear where we are in the passage now in seeing they've made a golden calf. And now they've come to a place of, well, Moses has to now plead for them and say that this promised land is still going to come even though they're really making big mistakes. And so these verses tell us that God can choose to limit himself from us. Our relationship with God is still with condition despite his unconditional love for us. So when we make choices that God dislikes, he makes himself distant from us. And I want to make it extremely clear. As I mentioned with God saying that he wasn't going to walk with the Israelites, he was never abandoning them. And it's the same for us. He doesn't abandon us. But when we are so focused on sin and so focused on the things that pull us away from God, of course it makes it a lot more difficult for him to to speak to us because we're not on his page. We're not meeting him where he's at. We're doing everything that is the opposite of him. And so, in other words, we need to get to a place where we deal with that sin, where we ask for forgiveness, we repent of it. Otherwise, how, how is God going to be able to listen to a heart that speaks with sin? And then we get to the typical, oh, I asked God for a Ferrari and I didn't get it whole idea. Of course God didn't give you a Ferrari. Why would he do that? It's coming from a sinful heart. He's not listening to anybody who's speaking like that. So God hates sin, and we see here how effectively sin can separate God's people from Him. Because not only does it happen to us today, when we completely consume our lives with sin, and then wonder where God has gone, but it's exactly what happened to the Israelites. God said, I cannot go with you. You're a stiff-necked people. You've got too many... You've got too much sin in your life. I can't ordain a ministry. I can't ordain a future for you where I'm present if this is how you're living. And so all in all, God never wants death for anyone. And now I'm going to look at a few verses here. So we've got another verse from 2 Peter 3 verse 9. And that reads, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. And this is just sharing on God's heart. God has never ever desired for death to come to a single human being because He's created every single one of us in His image. However, there's still the condition that the wages of sin is death, which we read in Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. And ultimately, God has given each and every one of us a choice. To either have life in Christ or death, as Romans 1 verse 28 states it. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. And so people will be given over to their wickedness. At the end of the day, it's crystal clear, guys, that our fate is based on what we do. Not on our works, but whether we are going to choose to follow our Christ or not. We can either choose sin, or we can choose God. And God says, I'm either for you or against you. There's no fence to sit on. And that's important. So in other words, God isn't at fault when we are not hearing from Him. Yes, I understand that You know, some of us may be in a season of learning very similar to Job, 
who never did anything wrong, but yet very much felt like he was abandoned from God. And that is still a very true reality for many of us today. But a lot of the time, it's our sin that separates us from him. It's our sinful lives. That is the reason for why when we call out to God, that we cannot hear his response. And the reality is that God, that, is that God never leaves us. And we need to trust in his ultimate plan. Despite how long it might take to be fulfilled. As we said, the Israelites, these Israelites never got to see the promised land. Their offspring did, but they never did. And yet they still followed through with that plan. And so the Israelites only cared about getting to the promised land and not about God. They were interested in the reward, but not interested in the God who gave it. And this is why God distanced himself from them. We are sometimes overly focused on heaven or overly focused on the second coming. We get into these conversations about, oh yes, you know, I I hate life right now. It's all terrible and it's all full of sin and it's a terrible place to live. But you know what? Heaven's coming and I just can't wait for heaven to come. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to look forward to a wonderful eternal future with God. But the reality is if we are so focused on that, we lose the idea of the great commission and the great commandment that Christ has called us to live by today. So where is your focus? Are you so fixated on what is to come? Or are you able to see that in the here and the now, that God is using you and he has a plan for you? And so just to give a little bit of a personal story, a, a man that is very dear to my heart, known, known as Norman Foss, is a, the person I see as my missions mentor. Absolutely amazing man. He's already in his mid-70s and he's probably the person I see that's first up in the morning and last to bed because this man never gets off his feet. He's been to so many different countries spreading the gospel, doing what he can for the sake of the kingdom of God. But you know when he first became a missionary? At the age of 55. He had a calling to be part of Christ's ministry from a young age. And the pastor that he went to and the church that he's with came in there was a new pastor that came in they didn't recognize him they're like okay no we can't let you go under or through the process of becoming a pastor because the new pastor of the church didn't know him and so he went on with his life he did what he did he had his family he got married stayed a devoted christian throughout all his life but he just went into the business world and it was like this plan that god had had for him just took a back seat and so i remember him telling me when he first started his studies that he approached everyone in tears, just saying, I should have been here for so much longer. I should have been here 20, 30 years ago, and yet I'm only here now. And some of you will know who Prof. Pullman is. And Prof. Pullman said to, he said to him, he said, God planned for you to be here now. You are in the right place now. And so don't get into this place where I have to get to that future now or whatever is lying ahead. That needs to happen tomorrow because God has got a plan and we need to trust in his voice and when that plan will be fulfilled. God's timing is priceless and he will lead you where he wants you to go. So listen to him. Listen to where he's leading you. Don't listen to your own stubborn voice. but Listen to the holy voice of God. So that's going to get us to our third point where we now look at verses 4 to 6. 
from verse 4 we can... Oh yeah, let's quickly read the scriptures. Apologies for that. So coming from verse 4, I think we can go back to the, the text. I think we should have it up there. It might just be back. Sorry about that, Christian. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank goodness it's off. Uh, while we get it there, I think for those of you who have your scriptures with you, let's just read from verse 4. So from verse 4, When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I, might, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now guys, this is the best part of the whole talk tonight. And if you're going to listen, if you've been sleeping, if you're not awake, this is where I want you to listen because this is the part that speaks the most truth into what we can do from this passage, what, what we can learn from this passage. So from verse 4, we can see that God is saying He wouldn't fully be going with Israel to the promised land in their current state, because their current state was bad news. They mourned. And this is actually extremely good response. Because as we said, they came from worshipping a golden calf to a point of, okay, no, now we're happy that the promised land is still there and God hasn't forgotten about us, and Moses has pleaded for us. But because God said, but I'm not going to go with you, they finally got to a point where they were able to say, but that's not good. We can see that actually we need God. There's no point in going there if God's not going with us. And so at verse 5, God says he can't go with Israel because they are stiff-necked, stubborn people. He displays his anger when he says, if he should go, he will consume them. In other words, God cannot stand being next to Israel at this point in time. His anger is so hot and boiling that he is probably going to kill them if he goes with him. That's how angry he is. And so in verse 6, the people remove their jewelry. They remove their ornaments as Moses instructed them to do by God's command. And this was the true sign of Israel's true repentance. They finally got to a point where they said, we know what we've done. God, we know we've upset you, and we know we're wrong. And so what are we going to do in response? Are we going to keep living our sinful lives and keep doing things in a sinful way? Or are we going to turn around and ask for forgiveness? Are we going to fix our lives and leave the sin behind and focus on living a life for you, God? And so finally we get to a point where Israel was on the right track. Hearing that if they were to continue, that God would not be by their side. They realized all this effort to find the promised land would be for absolutely nothing if it was without the God who saved them from the Egyptians. And so God then shows them where they are at fault so that they can fix the problem. And thus they strip themselves of these ornaments and of these gold and all this gold and all this jewelry that they're wearing. And just for something interesting there, these are the very same ornaments that they would have had, that they would have given 
to make this golden calf. And so we've got a very strong symbolism happening here of, well, we once took this and turned it into something to worship. Well, now all this fancy jewelry, we can think of it today as maybe our smartphones and our fancy shoes and all the nice things we have to wear and just saying, today I'm just going in my cocky pants and I'm wearing my t-shirt. Because I don't care about what I look like. I don't care about the status I'm trying to make. All I care about is making my focus and my most important figure in my life, God. Let's take away all this stuff that we've been blinded by and let's just focus on God. Because that's what it's about. So then God shows them their fault. And after this happens, after they strip all these, these ornaments from them, they show that they no longer wish to put their hope in anything else but God. Guys, this is a true revival. Israel have come to a point where they know they have stuffed up. They've made a grave mistake. And so they repent. And so our main point, you guys, without God, nothing is worth doing. If you call yourself a believer... How on earth can you say you can continue to contribute to this world and make an impact for God's kingdom if you're going without God? It is just, it gives me goosebumps just to say, everything I want to do, Lord, I just want to do it with you. I don't want to do anything if you're not there. I don't want to go to share the gospel. I don't want to preach. I don't want to have Sunday school. I don't want to speak about you to people who have never heard your name before if you are not there. That is not worth it if I don't have you. So are we aware of everything that is getting in between us? And I want us to be serious about that tonight. I want us to be super, super serious about that tonight. We need to remind ourselves that if we aren't moving forward, ensuring that God is our focus all the way, then we shouldn't even start the journey. Because God starts from the beginning. And no matter what difficulty you go through, no matter how dark that valley gets, you make sure that you know that God is standing next to you. Because it's not worth it if He's not there. I'm not going anywhere without my God. No ways. And so I hear so many believers speak about the second coming and how they believe his time is near, but how many are speaking of God's plan for them now and what he's doing in their lives now? Let's make that our our topic of the week. What is God doing in your life today? How is he shaping you? How is he transforming you? How are you becoming more like him? How is your relationship with God developing and growing? Don't worry about the promised land for now. Don't focus on what's lying ahead. But give all your attention and all your focus to God now. The time will come when Jesus comes again. And the time will come when we pass away and get to spend an eternity with God. But right now, let's focus on what He's called us to do. Let's focus on living up to the Great Commission and living up to the Great Commandments. And let's keep Praying on our knees, asking God, what's next? What today? What now? And so to sum up everything for tonight, when we looked at the Israelites as they longed for direction, they were impatient. And we can see from that that God will answer 
and he will keep going and he will keep speaking to his people. He's never going to abandon them. Then we looked at how Moses still longed for the promise of the future. And God never broke his promise, but he reminded the Israelites that there are consequences to their actions. When we let sin get in the way, it makes it extremely difficult for us to hear from God. And finally, longing for God's presence, the Israelites got to the point where they finally realized what mistake they'd been making. And so they repented and began working towards praising God again. And this was before they would get to focusing on their future plans because it was so much more important to give God all the praise and glory than it was about the promised land to come. And so get back to knowing God, guys. Work on your relationship with Him even more than you do with the people in your lives. He loves us and He wants to know us, but it starts with us. Guys, it's hard to, to take that time out of a week to make a quiet time work. And our weeks get busy and life is crazy. But we really, really, really need to get back to working on our relationship with Him. We really need to make sure that we're spending time with Him. Because how can we be more Christ-like? How can we truly reflect what it is to be an ambassador for Christ, the servant of His? If we are so blinded by our own devices and not focused enough on what He is instructing us to do. So let's close and pray. Father God, we just thank you for this message. Pray that tonight will just serve as a reminder that you are always there and despite the mistakes we make, just pray that we can look at everything that gets in between us and we can just remove it and just say, God, I just want to know you. I want to get back to you. All I want is, is just to know you and wake up and say, God, you're a good God. You're a God who's done amazing things, who's, who's changed the, the, the face of the world, who is the creator of the world, who has sent down his son Christ to die for us. And that there's, there's nothing more beautiful than the message that you've left us. I pray we can get back to that and just make it number one in our lives. So that everything else can just become secondary because there's all, everything else is nothing without you. So again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that the Israelites have set for us. And I pray that we don't live a life trying to be perfect human beings, but that all we do every day is just say, God, I want to be more like you through knowing you. That's it. That's all we want. All we want is you. And so I pray this all in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.